What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. Today is a Q&A, so we are going to answer a ton of questions. Like, I literally think I have 37 questions waiting in my inbox to go off on this, so I'm going to literally just ramble off as many as I can, and they are almost all training and nutrition related. I think we're going to tap into stress a little bit, um, but before we do get into that, I do want to just, just kind of talk about something real quick. Based off of my last podcast with Steve Krebs, so if you haven't listened to the episode with Coach Steve Krebs, the interview I just recently did, go listen to that shit right away because if that doesn't light a fire under your ass to go make shit happen, to live your life at a higher standard, to choose action instead of procrastination, I don't know what else will. That guy, one, he's hilarious. The shit he talks about just cracks me up. Like I don't, I was literally behind the mic just trying not to laugh because some of the shit he says, like rubbing crystals on his nipples and wearing a foil hat praying to kittens and shit like that and i'm just like, where does this shit come from that's why i love that guy that's why i love hanging out with him so much but go listen to that episode because he talks a lot about empowering yourself building confidence building certainty and taking action on whatever the fuck it is that you want to do and i've literally gotten so many dm emails off of that and it's funny because i've had some big name people on the podcast and this has had the best response so far as far as people reaching out to me, texting me, emailing me, doing whatever to just tell me, yo, that podcast was unbelievable. Um, I think I saw 80 fire emojis and all the different emails and messages I got. But go check out that podcast. It'll light a fire under, under your ass. And one of the big things that I want you guys to focus on today, this week, this month, like just keep repeating in your head is something that he said. Why not me? Right, One of my mentor clients, actually, shout out to him because he's going to be listening to this. He sent me a picture of his journal this morning, and it said in huge letters, why not me? And I think that is the most powerful affirmation that we can possibly say to ourselves or write for ourselves because there's no reason why not you. Every great individual in time, whether we're talking about Bruce Lee or fucking Barry Bonds, Michael Jordan, or we can go outside of the athletic realm and talk about Maya Angelou and all these different people had to ask themselves that same question at, at the beginning of their journey. Why not me? If so-and-so can do it, why not me? And there really is no reason why. The only thing that is stopping you from taking action and making that thing become you, becoming the person you want to be, living the life you want to live, living where you want to live, driving what you want to drive, all these different things, is literally because you're choosing to not take action. Because it's scary, because it's a risk, because it's change, because it's out of your comfort zone, whatever it may be. But the truth is, is you have to ask yourself, why not me and why not take action? Just leap, just go for it, just do it. There's no reason not to. And the only thing that stops people from being extremely successful is that they procrastinate and they wait and they decide to just not take action. They say no instead of yes. Everything in life is a choice. And if we don't create the image of what we want to do, what we want to be, who we want to become, where we want to live, how we want to spend every single day of our lives, and then reverse engineer that and start taking every single action step that's needed today, this week, this month, this year to get to that end result, we will never see success. This is exactly what I do with my mentor clients at the beginning. We talk about before we set a big target, a big money goal, a big life goal or anything, we have to envision five years from now, where do you want to be? Who do you want to be? Where do you want to live? Who do you want to live with? What do you want to drive? Like, What does this lifestyle look like to you? And then how do we create that? Because it doesn't always mean money. Success is creating that image. And I think people, like I used to think the whole uh, six figures thing was like the biggest thing to me, right? And I, and I talk about this with my mentors all the time. It's like six figures, I thought, meant a level of success because so many people just kind of put that number on a pedestal. But the reality is, is that means nothing. It has nothing to do with happiness, with how you spend your day, who you spend your day with, the experiences you get to have. So 
I've done a lot of reflecting ever since the day I found out that I was having a child and that has changed everything for me because it put purpose into my life. But the whole point of this is just saying you guys have to stop, think about what you want to become in the future, who you want to be, how you want to act, who you want to spend your time with, what you want to drive, where you want to live, where you want to travel, what you spend your days doing, everything. Reverse engineer that and start with the first action step and just ask, why not me? Repeat that question over and over and over again because there's no reason. The only reason it can't become you is because you were deciding not to. Everything is a choice in this life and you can choose to take action on things or you can choose not to. Now, I know that was a little rant and we're going to get into the Q&A, but I had to talk about this because that podcast I did, I mean, I spent every day of 2017 talking to that man. So you can imagine how much he had an influence on me. But that podcast alone had a very, very big impact on me as well. And I know it had a big impact on a lot of people. So if you have not listened to the episode with Steve Krebs, I'm horrible at numbers, but I think it's episode 177. If you have not listened to this episode with Coach Steve Krebs, go listen to it, put it on repeat, journal some notes on it, meditate on it, really, really think about why not you and start taking action on what you want to achieve. Last but not least, before we get into the episode, I just want to mention, guys, remember, Patreon is the way you can support the show. So if you love the show, you want to see the show grow, and you want me to get bigger, better, and more frequent guests on the show with better sound quality, with all that good stuff, you can donate to the show and support the movement, the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, the Boom Boom Performance Content Movement in general. And you can do that with the link in my profile. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the questions. Question number one comes from Fabiot. 93. I think that's how you say it. F-A-B-I-O-T 93. What they said is, do you have any tips or know of any resources, good resources to help with body image issues slash fears? Transitioning out of a cutting phase and into a maintenance or strength gain phase is scary and have a bit of a mind block and I have a bit of a mind block about it. I know this is a common feeling, but can't find any solution. Just have a fear of getting fat. Everyone just seems to talk or give advice on reverse dieting, but not changing slash helping the mindset you need to go with it. Okay, so I think this is, uh, it's, it's very person dependent, right? Everybody has, um, I'm just going to talk from personal experience because, uh, I mean, as, even as a male, like I know this is more common with females, but uh, even as a male, I go through it all the time, especially because I grew up a chubby kid. So um, I think... It depends where you're at. So, for example, for me and for some of my leaner clients, it's, it's one of those things where you just have to look at things more realistically. You have to take the emotional side out of it. Because with my journey, I mean, I grew up a fat kid. I grew up a chubby kid. And then I got into fitness, got lean, and then I got on stage and I got shredded. I mean, 4 or 5% body fat no fat on my stomach. I could see every inch of my abs. I could pull my skin and it was thin, like very, very bodybuilder status lean. And I've never been able to achieve that leanness, nor should I because it's unhealthy. But for me, a reverse diet, a gaining phase, a maintenance phase, a strength phase, whatever you want to call it, anytime I'm not super lean, it's hard because my expectations are completely skewed now. Because I want to get lean right now, for example, and I'm not going to get as lean as I was when I got on the bodybuilding stage for my physique competition. But in the back of my mind, that's where my standard lies, right? That's what I think is the ultimate goal. That's what I think is, quote unquote, super lean. Like that's always the, it's always in the back of my mind of like, that is how lean I've gotten before. Why can't I get there again? So I think that it's, it's not always 
I mean, sometimes you just have to take the emotional side out of things. You have to be less emotional, more logical, more realistic about things. So if you're somebody that's in that situation, I think it just comes down to reminding yourself that being shredded year-round is not ideal. It's not healthy. It's not realistic. And then step away from it. Now, if you aren't in that place, and because uh, I have a lot of clients who aren't shredded or never were shredded, but they still have to go through a maintenance phase or reverse diet just because that's the reality of, of dieting. That's the longevity side of dieting. It takes time. It takes these phases. It takes maintenance phases and, and diet breaks and refeeds and reverse dieting and performance goals and these different things to create a longevity of, of lean living. So if you're just somebody who isn't where they want to be, but they have to kind of pause on their goals, like I, I think, again, it just it comes down to remembering the long term. Like I think people are so caught up of I don't have any resources, by the way, like you asked for resources. I have no resources besides just listening to podcasts like mine, right? Like listen to people like uh, myself, Mind Pump. Um, I've had Adam Schaefer on the podcast. I'm about to have Sal from Mind Pump on the podcast as well. Um, people like uh, Paul Ravella, Lauren Conlin that are bodybuilding, but more on the healthy side of things. Like listen to these podcasts like that and these YouTubers and stuff like that that talk about the stuff that they're shredded, but they talk about how that's not how they live year round. So having a realistic standpoint about it is just is key. And then just remembering that this is this is for the long run. Like we all have these like very short term goals. Like I want to get shredded for the summer, but like what about next summer? The summer after that? The summer after that? What about when I'm fifty? Right. What about when I'm 70 and I'm a grandfather? Like, what about my health then? And then you kind of start looking at this big picture and you remember that, like, I don't need to be in a rush. Right. Like by the time this airs, I would have already posted it. Check my Instagram. Um, I did an infographic on um, realistic fat loss. And it's basically like these charts. And it shows like for a newbie who's never tried before and has 50 to 100 pounds to lose. It's just a straight weight loss trend. Like it's your scales going down every single month. Then as you get to intermediate, you kind of like stall out at the beginning and you just don't see any results for weeks until you kind of dial in and find your sweet spot and then you see this slow trend down. Then when we get to the advanced realm, it's like just up and down, up and down, up and down. Or it's like down and then plateau for a while, down and then plateau for a while. And we have to be okay with that because it's reality. And if you try to have a linear fat loss just nonstop for good, you're going to just wreck yourself. And that's what actually leads to later on having to take a pause, take a maintenance phase, take a reverse diet, take a strength phase and focus on your health and focus on gaining some body fat because that's actually what's healthy. So um, I think it really, really depends on where you're at. But I think at the end of the day, the best tip I can give is number one, have realistic and logical thoughts around it versus emotional thoughts. I think that number two would be um, just remembering the big picture because I mean, getting shredded in a month is great, but getting shredded in six months is even better because then it's going to last longer. So just kind of think of the big picture, like why be in a rush? And then number three would be like, um, listen to people like me, Mind Pump, um, like I said, Paul Ravello, Lauren Conlon. Um, there's a, let's see, Andy Morgan is good. The 3DMJ, all the natural bodybuilders, like they're actually really good people to listen to because they're informative, but they also talk about the realistic side of things. So that's good. And then number four would be, I think this is number four. Um, journaling, meditating, stress management, getting more sleep, going on walks by yourself to create some space, like all the little like guru-y things that I do in the mornings and stuff like that stuff is really what keeps my mind at ease with the hecticness. So I would definitely, uh, I would definitely like consider having those things dialed in. All right. This is just something I just took a picture of. It is not a question, but I'm going to share this anyway. Will drops pixels from Instagram. 
Hey, Cody, I just came up on a year of fixing my life. I'm incredibly thankful for all the content you put out there. The information you've posted has helped me lose 40 pounds so far without killing my central nervous system, has inspired relational changes in my life. In parentheses, I'm working harder to show people that I appreciate them. So he's building his relationships. Um, has helped me work with uh, has helped me with my work ethic. I'm a straight A student now and once wasn't, and has helped inspire me to take the next step in starting a business. Keep up the incredible work and thank you, dude. That's insane. Super super happy to hear that, and it just is so cool that that you're crushing stuff. Um, and it makes me feel good. Like I mean, damn, he's been following my content for a fucking year. Um, and he's just crushing shit. And I've actually talked to him. He interviewed me for a college project and he was like, dude, I used to not get good grades. Now I'm in like the honors role or whatever it's called there, the president's class or something like it's insane. And he's like, I dialed your morning routine in. I got your ebook or whatever, like crazy what free content can provide. That's why I'm so passionate about this stuff, guys. All right. So the Mr. Davis, the underscore Mr. Underscore Davis from Instagram, you actually had two questions, brother. And I'm sorry that the first one was December of 2017, and for some reason, I didn't see it, but I'm going to answer it today. So you probably already got this handled, but I think it's a good question. Hey, Cody, I had a question. Is there any books that you can recommend in regard to nutrition? More specifically, I'm interested in the subject of gut health. Anything you've got would be helpful. So I think that for this one, um, I'm just going to run through them real quick. I think for books... You know, I haven't done a ton of uh, gut health books. A lot of what I've done is like uh, seminars, webinars, podcasts, video series, audiobooks, stuff like that, podcasts. So I would just say go go find some like, you know, um, Ruscio is a good guy, Dr. Ruscio. Go study his stuff. Um, Dr. Zach Bush is a good one that I interviewed on my podcast. Um, uh, Chris Kresser. I've read his functional uh, unconventional medicine, um, which is a great book and it does talk about a lot of that stuff. So I definitely would recommend reading that. I would recommend reading wired to eat. I would recommend reading deep nutrition. Um, three books that talk about, I mean, in, in just any paleo books, like if you get a paleo style book from a doctor or somebody who's actually involved in that stuff, I think it's very good because it helps a lot. Like I've read the thrive diet. I've read a lot of books. Um, the gluten connection, like you get, it's more about reading, I believe at least, it's more about reading specific books that relate to just health in general, right? Like I learned a lot um, about the Thrive, like the Thrive Diet's all about vegetarianism. So I took a lot out of that. I took a lot out of the gluten connection because there's a lot of good studies and research in there that talk about the, the negative sides of gluten. You know, I've read stuff about the paleo solution. I've read the Wired, Wired to Eat is another paleo style, but it goes into the blood glucose response and in paleolithic eating and digestion and gut health and sleep and all these different things and stress and how those play a role in, in gut. So I don't think there, there's no like titled book that's called Gut Health for Experts. But what I would say is look into Ruscio stuff, look into Chris Kresser stuff, look into Rob Wolf stuff and just start picking apart everything, not just their books. He had a second question and that's how I saw his first one today. Hey, Cody, you have a question. It <laughs> starts it the same way. If I'm about to start density, but I'm on the tail end of a cut, should I just wait till I add calories back in to start? 
So I said no, this program is perfect. So as you guys know, I just released Density. It's no longer on sale, but you can still grab the, the program with the link in the profile. Um, or you can go to boomboomperformance.com slash density, and it's a power building program. This program is a lot of volume, um, but it shifts phase to phase. So the first whole entire four weeks, there's two different blocks. So there's two two-week phases within that one phase that is all hypertrophy specific. Long tension, time under tension reps, hypertrophy rep ranges, hypertrophy exercise selection, everything is geared towards building muscle. The second phase, the intensity raises and it's a lot more strength focused. There's still some hypertrophy keys in there, but there is still some strength focus as well. There's a lot more strength focus. The reason I'm saying this is because, and the reason I actually want to answer this question is because I don't think people need to change their training when they go into a cut. And that's one of the things I see most commonly, um, the biggest like mistake I see when people go into a cut, they change their training. They think they need to do more cardio or higher reps, lower weight or circus training, circuit, <laughs> circus, circuit training. Um, and, and the reality is that you want to train like you are eating way too much food and trying to build muscle. And that's kind of an exaggeration, but the reason I say that is because the best way to maintain muscle is actually to focus on training to build muscle. Focus on building strength and muscle, so training some low rep stuff where you're going really heavy for one, two, three, four rep ranges and doing a lot of hypertrophy work where you have slow tension, you're getting my muscle connection, you're doing high volume training. That stuff is going to increase your ability to maintain muscle mass in a calorie deficit. Right? So the two most important things when you go into a deficit for maintaining muscle is to train heavy, train high volume, and uh, get enough protein. So even more than a gram per pound in some cases. And the reason for these is because we want to stimulate the anabolic response. We want to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. And we want to do extra volume because it forces our body to hold on to every ounce of muscle possible because while in a deficit, you are not going to build more muscle. It's just it's too hard in most cases um, unless you're brand new to lifting. So... I, I would highly recommend sticking with a program like Density when you're on a cut. And that's why I think programs like Density and Functional Muscle are great for fat loss because they're going to make sure that you, when you get to your goal, you're still strong. Your nervous system is there. Your hormones are there. Um, you're maintaining all the muscle you had. You're maintaining the strength you had. And that's, that's the goal, right? We don't want to lose a bunch of weight and get skinny fat. We want to stay muscular. More Chia, please. She, from Instagram, she asks, do steps make or break weight loss slash maintenance? I feel like I'm becoming obsessed with getting way over the 10,000 step per uh, step goal per day. And I'm worried about worried that by not doing so, I won't maintain my weight. So um, yes and no. I think that like, you know, I think it's very, very important um, while on a cut. I don't think it's important on a maintenance because if you're trying to maintain your weight, I mean, Neat is 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 really good for burning extra calories, but it's not going to do so much that it's going to help you. It's going to stop you from maintaining your weight. Um, and the, to be honest with you, if you're at maintenance calories, your neat is going to be where it needs to be because we need to remember too. Like yes, ten thousand steps a day is a good tracking measurement, but the reason it's important to track neat while you're on a cut is because. While you cut calories, your energy naturally lowers, which means while I'm sitting here talking, if I'm in a big deficit, I'm probably not going to be using my hands as much. I'm not going to be using my feet as much. I'm not going to stand up and sit down throughout the day as much. I probably won't take as many steps. I'm not going to talk as much. I'm not going to fidget as much. Like people forget that neat is not just steps. Neat is everything you do that's movement that burns calories that is not exercise. So when we look at cutting calories and getting somebody into a deficit, I like to implement NEAT because it reinsures us that we're getting enough of it, right? Because naturally, and this is why naturally lean people who just stay lean year round, 
most of them have naturally, like a lot of them have ADD, a lot of them have uh, fidgeting issues, a lot of them have like a high neat turnover regardless. Um, and that's why they, that's one of the reasons why they stay lean, their metabolism stays high. But I think if you're at a maintenance calories or surplus, you don't need to track that so diligently because at the end of the day, you're probably naturally going to be moving enough because you're getting enough calories if you're at a true maintenance calorie. So my thought is you might not actually be at maintenance calories if you're questioning this that much and you have to be so diligent. Um, so I would say, no, it's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. It's not going to make or break. Now, if you're focused on weight loss, I would implement it and I would more so do this. Like before you get into a cut, track your steps per day. So if you go all week and you stay within that five to seven thousand steps per day range on a normal basis while you're at maintenance calories, then when you go into a cut, make sure that you're staying within that five to seven. So averaging at 6,000 steps per day, because when you cut calories, you will notice that if you didn't shoot for that 6,000, you will naturally go towards like four to 5,000 on the lower end, because naturally, again, you have less energy coming in. So your body is going to control that and try to press, uh, preserve the energy by not moving as much throughout the day, naturally. So when you go into that cut, it's important to know where you were and try to step it up or at least maintain your steps per day while you're in the cut. Um, very, very important. Um, so with weight loss, it's totally different. And then obviously, too, if you sit all day, like to me, honestly, I, even when I'm in a maintenance phase, I always try to make sure that my NEAT is at my average 10,000 steps a day simply because if I, I sit a lot, like, right, I'm a fit individual, I train a lot, I do these things, but I only train once a day, like, I'm not training like a madman, but what I do most of my day is sit in my chair in my office, and I answer emails, I write programs, I do stuff like that, and so, naturally, my neat is very low, because I have a sedentary lifestyle, believe it or not, um, because my job is online now, so, um, it's important for me to get up, move. I like to, sometimes I answer emails while I'm walking around the block. Sometimes I will, um, I take all my calls on the phone now when I'm holding the baby, I try to stand up and, and do things like it's important for me. So it really just depends. And, and for me, it's less about staying lean and more about staying healthy and not getting tight hip flexors and bad posture. Um, Jay, Jay Shay, 89, Jay Shay. Hey girl, what's good? I don't know why that made me want to say that. Um, Jay Shea 89 from Instagram says, how to repair. Okay, so she has multiple questions. Damn, way to utilize me, girl. Good shit. How to repair metabolism. Where to start for building up calories and reducing cardio. So I have, I have answered this question so many times that I'm going to kind of keep this short. Um, I have a video that's really good. I'll link it in the description um, on reverse dieting. So it, is, it talks specifically about reverse dieting. And then I would also recommend uh, Brandy Wan from IN3, her ebook. I'll link that in the description as well. Um, that's a really good book to just kind of give you the basis, right? Um, but basically, where to start for building up calories and reducing cardio. Um, I tend to uh, bring up calories first and leave cardio. I think that usually people are so cautious and nervous about doing the, the reverse in the first place, I tend to just go, hey, let's just get you some more food so at least your cardio is a little bit more enjoyable and you have more energy during it um, and keep you moving because that's a more noticeable thing that you're stopping to do. You feel lazy. It's a mental thing. Uh, but then at the same time, if somebody's doing tons of cardio, I'll do both. And the big thing is you just reduce slowly. So if you're doing 200 minutes per um, week, so maybe that's broken up into 20-minute walks, 30-minute walks, 40-minute walks, whatever it may be, but let's say you're doing 200 minutes per week, um, and that's cardio Monday through Friday, and it's, it feels like a lot. It kind of is a lot, right? That's 
I mean, that's two hours and 40 minutes. It's quite a fucking bit. So um, let's just say 120 minutes. Let's say two hours, and that turns into four 30-minute walks. I might reduce that by taking five minutes per walkout. So I might go, hey, those 30-minute sessions, I want you to go 25 minutes, and I want you to lower the intensity just a little bit. So instead of like 2.5 miles per hour or 3 miles an hour, maybe you go to 2, 2.5. So it's not really noticeable, but it's a little bit change, a little bit slower, a little bit less intense, and you're dropping it by five minutes per session. Right, so now we've cut out 20 minutes total out of our cardio for the week, um, and then I will add anywhere between five to 20 percent of calories, or anywhere between 50 to 250 calories. Really depends on how bad they are. If somebody's at or below a thousand calories when they come to me, I take an aggressive approach because staying lean is is less a priority to me, and it's getting them healthy and feeling good is more of a priority. So for me, in that situation, I will go from 800 calories right up to 1400 calories if I need to. Because there's just non-negotiable, you need to prioritize health. But if somebody's already at 1,400, 1,500 calories and they only weigh 140, 150 pounds, so they're around that 10 times their body weight, but we need to reverse, I might add 10, 15 carbs, maybe 20 grams of carbs. Um, if they need, if they're low fat, I will prioritize fat first because it's just from a life perspective, it's more necessary, more needed, it's more crucial. So I might add 5 grams of fat, 10 grams of carbs. Very, very slow, very simple, especially at the beginning. Partially because I don't want them to gain fat, but partially because I don't want them to mentally feel like bogged down or feel like they're adding too many calories or see the scale jump up and freak out because mentally reverse dieting is just as hard as physically and like nutritionally. So I'll take a very slow approach and with both of them, right? We see how the first week goes. If 10 grams of carbs, 5 grams of fat and reducing cardio by 5 minutes worked really well and there's no issue, then what I might do is actually bump up the cardio back to three, 30 minutes, but take one cardio session away. So now they went from doing four sessions a week at 30 minutes to four sessions a week at 25 minutes to three sessions a week back at 30 minutes, right? So we're still reducing it at the same rate, but now they're in the gym less times per day. It feels a little bit better. It's easier on the schedule. They get a little more recovery, a little more downtime. I believe that's a little bit easier on your nervous system. Um, and then I'll, again, add 10 grams carbs, maybe five grams fat, or maybe just one and the other. It just depends on how the body reacts. Obviously in a perfect world, they are not gaining any weight in the process. They're maintaining their weight. Some people are hyper responders and they will lose weight. But in some cases people gain one or two pounds. And in those cases, I might wait an extra week, right? So my adjustments come in the frequency of one, two, or even three weeks apart, um, based on their weight. Sometimes they gain a pound, I wait a couple weeks. Sometimes they gain two or three pounds, I wait three weeks, right? Sometimes they gain a pound and I know that like hormonally and neurologically, we just need to bump them up and I just won't even care. I'm like, yeah, I know you gained weight, I'm sorry, but we need to do this because the weight will fall off. We just have to prioritize the the calories first. So it depends on the person. Um, My best advice is to hire a coach for this. I think that even for me, if I'm going into a reverse or a maintenance phase, I always hire a coach. I'd rather cut myself. I think that's easier than reversing just because the mental side of things is a little bit more difficult. Cutting is a little more motivating. Um, definitely hire a coach. Go slow. Track everything um, and just follow the protocol. If there's any time that it's very crucial to be like pretty detailed or pretty specific and measure things out and really hit your calories and macros. Like usually I'm pretty flex. Like I like my clients to be a plus to me is within five to 10 grams of carbs and protein and within three to five grams of fat. Meaning if I set your fat at 60 and you hit 63 golden, I'm cool with that. It's not that big of a deal. It's in chances are you're still at 60. There's no way of telling for sure. Um, 
But with a reverse, I'm like, hey, let's let's tighten it up. Let's, I mean, let's try to be one, two grams away from fat. Let's try to be within five grams of carbs. Like, really, really, really try because I think that is it, it makes a bigger difference because if you're not following protocol, you're not hitting macros, then every adjustment, every tweak, every addition of calories we make per week is going to be slightly skewed because it's not based on your, your true caloric intake. Um, her next question, determining best sources of fat for your body. I know this is very individual specific, but even after years of bodybuilding diets, I still have a harder time determining best fat sources. So I don't even think, to be honest with you, I don't think it's very, I don't think it's very individual. I think like the reality of it is there's, there's certain fat sources that are very high nutrient, um, and very nutrient dense and, they're just going to be fucking healthier for us, plain and simple. And those are going to be omega-3 fatty acids first and foremost. So things like fish oil, right? Like that's very, very important, getting some fatty fish in your diet. Um, whole eggs is going to be huge. Um, omega-3, good um, cholesterol as well. Um, grass-fed butter is going to be great. Another saturated um, coconut oil is fantastic. It's triglyceride, so it's burned in the liver a little bit quicker and a little bit easier. Um, digest really well. Helps speed up your metabolism. Hormonally, it's good too. Um, avocados and avocado oil is great. Um, I've, I've, we just started using all, uh, avocado oil a lot too. Olive oil is great too, but in moderation, you don't want to overdo that. Um, really any oil you don't want to overdo actually any fat <laughs> you don't want to overdo. Um, if there's any nut I would pick, I would pick macadamia nut or macadamia nut oil and walnuts. Those seem to be the most high nutrient, um, nuts that you can possibly eat. I think Brazil nuts are up there too, but Brazil nuts are kind of weird and, and awkward to eat. They're just fucking massive and not that good. Um, that's probably what I would go with. Um, every once in a while, fatty meats too, right? Like get a grass fed, grass finished, nice fatty steak. I like to eat a nice fatty steak at least two or three times a week for dinner. Um, it's expensive, but I mean, to me it's worth it. So I'm buying really nice organic prime fucking cut, nice lean steaks that do have enough fat on it where I'm getting some, some of the healthy fats from a, from a cow. Um, and that goes for grass fed beef, bison, all that shit too. Um, and that's about it, man. I don't, I don't have a huge variety of fats. I try to not get too many fats, uh, from omega-6 sources or grains and things like that, but obviously they slide in there too, right? Like I, I love oatmeal and my oatmeal, when I have a cup of oatmeal, it's got like six grams of fat and that it is what it is. But the majority of my fat is coming from, um, those two nuts. So walnuts or uh, macadamia nuts, salmon or fish oil, avocado or avocado oil, um, extra virgin olive oil, a lot of coconut oil, whole eggs almost every day, um, and grass-fed butter almost every day as well. And I'm getting a wide variety there, right? If you switch those things up, you're getting a good balance. Like, you're going to get a good amount of saturated fats, which I believe is healthier for you, especially for body composition. I think it's better. Um, but you're also going to be getting some polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, so on and so forth. So you get that three ratio pretty well, pretty balanced. Hit versus steady state benefits for cardio. Um, this one is a loaded question. I am going to link a video. Hopefully I remember. I'm going to uh, link a video to something Jeff Nipper did that I just watched recently. He did a science explained video. I'm a big fan of his. Um, he actually took me through a photo shoot prep a while ago. So I know Jeff pretty well. He was actually one of my first interviews on this podcast, like two or three years ago. Um, really good dude, really smart guy, um, really great YouTube channel where he breaks down the science of a lot of things and he did a really good video. So I'm going to link that, but basically what kind of came out of it is there's no difference. Like it comes down to preference. Like you will burn more calories doing, or you will burn more fat doing lists and more calories doing lists during the session, right? Like if I do 30 minutes of lists, 
I will burn more calories than the equivalent of intervals because I have to take, you know, 90 seconds to two minute rest in between intervals if I'm doing hit. I'm going to burn more calories doing lifts. But the epoch effect, um, excess uh, exercise post-oxygen consumption, uh, that is going to kick up with hit and that's going to cause you to burn more calories after the fact. So at the end of the day, when you lay your head into the bed, whether you did lists or hit, it really doesn't matter. You're actually gonna burn the exact same amount of calories. So for me, um, I choose what works best in my schedule. For me, that's lists. I enjoy a nice fasted 20 to 30 minute walk in the morning because it's like a mental thing. So when I'm getting ready to cut, I will just ramp that up. Um, I will take some like glucose disposal agents, some insulin uh, sensitivity agents, and I'll go on my fasted walk, things like L-carnitine, and then I'll go on my walk, I'll pick up the pace a little bit, and I'll go 30 to 35 minutes. I like that better than doing hit. I hate hit. I, I'm not like, I love the benefits of hit. I'm just, it's one of those things I have to really psych myself up to do it. So for me, I prefer not to, especially because I like to lift. And because I like to lift a lot and I like to lift four or five days a week, my nervous system is already getting plenty of work done. And if I do too much hit cardio, it's just going to smash my nervous system down. Like if I do, I've done this before too, where I've played with it and I've added like, instead of my morning walk, I'll do hit cardio in the morning, like two or three times a week. And within a couple of weeks, I'm just fatigued. I'm getting tired earlier in the day. It's just not worth it to me, right? Like I want to be able to like stay up and watch some TV with my family after, after I'm done with work and, and not be fucking tired after dinner, not be fatigued during my training sessions. And for me, HIT does that to my nervous system. So you got to be c- careful with that stuff. Um, I think a blend of it is smart though. So I do think that one or two sessions of HIT is great. Then adding a little bit of list is great too. So you get a combination of both. Um, but at the end of the day, Benefit-wise, they're both going to benefit you cardiovascularly. Um, HIT is a little bit more bang for your buck, so you can spend less time doing it and burn the same amount of calories, but it's also taxing on the nervous system. Um, I would say as well, if you have to combine your training and your cardio in one session versus doing a two-a-day, like I just said, where I'm doing cardio in the morning, training in the evening, um, I would suggest doing HIT because HIT is going to increase muscle protein synthesis post-exercise versus LIS could actually blunt that a little bit. Um, it could also speed up, like, drop cortisol. So there's, there's evidence that shows that LIS will drop cortisol, allow you to get a parasympathetic mode and actually will actually help digestion of the meal. But protein synthesis and muscle gains might not be as high. So it kind of goes back and forth. But in general, I, I suggest doing HIT at the end of your workout versus LIS simply too because – if you already trained for an hour and then you got to do 30 to 40 minutes of list versus five minutes of hit, I would rather have you spending less time in the gym and go get your meal and rest. So again, it comes kind of down to preference. Fasted cardio and training, pros and cons. So I'm not even going to, I'm not going to go into this one because um, I just like Thibs, Christian Thibodeau on the last podcast I did with him just a little, like a couple weeks ago, one week ago. So that was episode 176, I think. He crushed that question. He talked about it the whole time. Here's my deal. I think that um, fasted training is a bad idea, in my opinion. I think that fasted training, in most cases, is going to lead to less performance. They've done studies that show people who eat food prior to training versus people who do not eat anything prior to training. The people who eat food prior to training do have a better result because their performance is higher, their strength is higher, their energy is higher, muscle protein synthesis is higher. Plain and simple, you're going to build more muscle if you have a meal before. That's just the science. I believe it, and I feel better when I train on food versus fasted. Um, and even if your goal is fat loss, I think that's important because muscle building muscle is the best way to burn fat um, when you're going into a cut. So I'm big on that. 
Um, the only time I like fasted cardio or training is if some, my client has to train at five in the morning and that's the only time they can train. Like they can't train after work. Then I'm like, okay, we're going to make your last meal of the day around like 7, 8 p.m. It's going to have high protein, high carb. So you're going to sleep on it, wake up, and you're going to have plenty of fuel in your stomach. Maybe drink some BCAs during training or uh, essential aminos. So that's the only way. Otherwise, I'm, I think it's there's too many cons that out, outweigh the pros. Um, fasted cardio I think is good if you're doing lists like I mentioned just in the last question you asked versus HIT because I think the point of HIT is to be very explosive and to have very high metabolic turnover. So when I do HIT, I want to have energy, right? So I'm actually doing some uh, energy systems training. So my anaerobic and aerobic work has been written by Brian Borstein, which you are going to hear on the podcast next week. He's me and him see eye to eye on everything programming wise, which I love. So it was a great conversation, but he's really good with energy systems and cardio and stuff like that being in the CrossFit industry um, previously. So he hooked me up with a uh, uh, energy systems training in my day on the assault bike. Like I'm going for 10 to 12 seconds at 100 percent this week, 100 percent of intensity. And I take a full two minute rest. Because of that, I wasn't going to do that fasted because I'm just not going to be able to go all out personally. So I had a meal before that, hours before, but it was I did it at 3 p.m. So I'm moving, I'm hydrated, I'm well-fed. I'm going to get more out of that high-intensity cardio session because I can go all out because the point of hit is to really crank up the intensity. So I think that's a really, really important thing to think about and consider uh, when deciding if you're going to do training or cardio fasted. You know, I listen to some people's podcasts, and so I'm on the 37-minute mark, not on your screen, but on my screen of recording, and uh, I listen to people talk for like two hours, and I don't, and I don't know, maybe you guys don't hear me take drinks and stuff, but fuck, like, I don't know how people talk for, for an hour, hour and a half without taking a drink of water or coffee. Like, I, it's just insane. I'm, I'm parched. Anyway. All right, we have one from Kate Wright Golf, who I believe on Instagram, which I believe is a professional golfer. So shout out to Kate Wright. Hi, Cody. I have sent you a couple questions in the past, and I have followed you for so long and love your info. Thank you. Appreciate that. My question is on autoimmunity and exercise. I have always been extremely active. I am a professional athlete, so I was right, but also work out one to two times a day, five days a week, and once the other couple days. I know it might be a lot, but it's always been my release. My doctor told me with, that with my autoimmunity, I need, to stop, I need to think about stopping working out or really taking it down to low intensity, such as yoga or Pilates. This is really hard to hear because it is my way, it is what my life revolves around. Do you have any suggestions on how I can lower my intensity or stress from exercise without giving up lifting completely? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I disagree with your... Uh, with your doctor. I mean, um, if you, and it really depends too, right? Like, I guess I can't really give solid information without going super individual and hearing what, what's going on, right? What, when you say autoimmunity, that could be a whole gang of different things. Like what type of autoimmune issue do you have? So that would be thing number one, because when we talk about immunity and autoimmune disease in the gut and all these different things, nine times out of 10 or more, 10 times out of 10, Something is going on on a hormonal level, and that is what's going to dictate my decision for intensity, volume, training, type of exercise, those type of things. Um, it also depends on how much you're sleeping, what your nutrition looks like, um, and what your golf looks like. So how often are you golfing? How intense is that golf? Like, Because I know it's golf, and it's a low-intensity sport, but you're still moving. You're still working your muscles. If you're swinging a lot, if you're practicing a lot, it's still a lot. So 
first and foremost, I would not be training twice a day, ever. If you're playing a sport, that is your second training session. You do not need to be lifting twice a day. In fact, I don't think anybody should be lifting twice a day. No matter how serious you are, how bad you want to get ripped, it doesn't matter. There's really no need to train twice a day. And the only situation I ever see this make sense is with CrossFit athletes. And to be honest with you, it's like we wake up in the morning and we're doing skill component work. So we are doing some lifting, some uh, Olympic stuff, things like that. And then at night we're doing some energy system stuff because you want to be able to practice those separately so you can fully recover. But those motherfuckers are eating a lot of food. (laughs) I have athletes who are in CrossFit and they eat 3,000 plus calories, a lot of them. So um, what I would suggest is definitely eating more if you're not. So first thing I would do is like, okay, instead of lowering intensity, can we raise calories up? Because let's say you weigh, I don't know what you weigh, but let's just use a a rough average weight of for a female athlete and you're 150 pounds and you are training twice a day and golfing, but you're only consuming 1500, 1700 calories, 1800 maybe. I would go, okay, well, if, if training is such a release for you and it would be very stressful to remove training, First and foremost, let's drop training down to once a day, but still go hard, still go intense, still lift weights, still get after it. Um, And then let's bump calories up, right? So I would probably attack sleep first, actually. So I'd go with sleep. Then I would go with uh, training once a day instead of twice a day. And then I would go with upping calories if I didn't do that right from the jump, because that really depends. If you came to me and you were eating 1,200 calories, then obviously I'd do that first. But I think it would be important to get enough calories because... I personally think that I've never had any issues with people who have autoimmunity issues and coming to me. I never have any issue with them lifting. Like we always stay lifting because if anything, it's a mental release. It's a stress relief. They're building muscle. They're, they're improving some of their hormones that might actually help. And as long as they're supplying their body with adequate recovery through nutrition and, and sleep, then they're golden. There's no reason to stop. So I would probably drop to one time a week. I would still train hard. I would probably do more of like a functional bodybuilding approach. So Maybe you tone down the intensity. So go into the gym, do your activation, do your warm-up, do one heavy lift of the day in the three to five rep range, whether it's a deadlift, a press, a squat, whatever. And then the rest of your movements are going to be functional, unilateral, rotational, things that are going to be sport-specific. And you're going to be doing more slow movements, a lot of time under tension, lighter weights, more control, and just getting after it like that. Like I think if you took that approach, I think you'd be golden. All right. Colleen Faltit. You know, I was wondering, I had a conversation with you the other day. It's a new client of mine. I don't know if I said your name right. Faltit or Faltot? I meant to ask you. But Colleen, sorry if I pronounced it wrong. Colleen Faltit from Instagram says, your thoughts on those pyramid scheme cleanses. I know she's got to be joking with this one because <laughs> I know her now. And I think that she's probably just trying to fuck with me. I think they're stupid. I think they're pointless. Um, anything that's a pyramid scheme, I think, is a waste of time. To be honest with you, I think it's, I think it's kind of selfish on certain people. Um, I very rarely do you see anybody become very successful from a business perspective that's in a pyramid scheme system, unless they're at the very, very top of the pyramid. They started the pyramid, um, and then as far as cleanses, I think cleanses cleanses are only good if you have a serious digestion or intestinal issue, and you need to like remove everything that's in your gut, and. I think that's the only purpose. And I think there's a lot of cleanses that make claims about weight loss, but they're really just, it's, for lack of a gross term, it's, it's diarrhea in a bottle, and it's just going to cleanse you out. And you're going to feel lighter for a couple of days because it washes out all your food and water, and you don't eat for two days, and 
you wonder why you feel lighter and then you gain all the way back. So I think they're pointless. I think they're, they annoy me and they trigger me because I feel bad for all the people that are spending money and wasting time on this stuff. Sean Lawton, 24 from Instagram would love to hear some approximate caloric and macro numbers you'd recommend for athletes. I know it varies a ton between athlete, gender, and size, but I'm worried I'm not eating enough for the right percentages. So this is uh, very individual, and you guys know me. I'm super, super individual. Man, honestly, what I would do is there's a link in the show notes. I would, I would get my nutrition hierarchy because it breaks down like fat loss, maintenance, bulking, uh, slow gain, performance, like what you need from a fuel perspective to get to your goal. So, Sean, go check out my book. It's $19.99. There's a link in the show notes. Very cheap, but it breaks down everything you need to know about macros and calories. But in general, like off the top of my head, most athletes are going to, you know, I mean, if we're talking strictly performance, um, like if we're talking strictly performance, it depends on the athlete, obviously. Like we just talked about a pro golfer. A pro golfer is completely different than um, a crossfitter or a football player or a marathon runner for, or for anything, right? There's so many different sports and there's so many different intensities. Some are glycolytic, some are not. Um, so we got to take all that into consideration. But in general, I'm probably saying anywhere from at least 13 times your body weight all the way up to 18 times your body weight because, again, it depends. I have some CrossFit athletes that are 18 times their body weight in calories and they're maintaining their weight and performing like animals. And then I have CrossFit athletes that are eating 14 times their body weight because it allows them to perform at the level, but it also allows them to maintain a lower weight, which they need for the gymnastic style movements that they do because if we push it to 15, 16 times their body weight, their metabolism and their body type and just their genetics – don't handle it well, they gain weight, and now they can't perform some of the gymnastic stuff as well. So if I can keep them lighter and they still feel good in the Olympic lifts and stuff, and they're strong, then by all means, I'm going to keep them lighter, right? So it depends on the person, depends on the sport, but it can, it, dude, it really floats anywhere between 13 to 18 times their body weight. As far as macros go, that again is individual. I don't do percentages and ratios. I just don't feel like they work. You know, like we talk 40, 40, 20, and 40, 30, 30 zone, and these kind of things. For me with a client, I'm like, these are your grams of carbs per day. These are your fats per day. These are your proteins per day because they adjust, right? Um, What time of year is it? How intense is your training right now? How is your recovery doing? How is your stress? Are you traveling? What's your goal? These things all dictate the adjustments I make to macros, and it's extremely hard to make very accurate and precise adjustments to a macro plan if I'm saying add 5% carbs, like, that's just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work, especially because calories never, and I, I've explained this a million times to clients, calories never are the same, and they're always rounded, right, so I can be, like, literally dead on to the exact gram of what my macros are supposed to be, but my calories are off, they're too high, they're too low, why? Well, because every food label rounds, so if I eat something that's 96 calories, it's gonna round to 100, if I eat something that's 93, it's gonna round to 90, If I eat four things that were 86, it's going to round to 90. So now I have all these calories that are slowly rounding by one to five, and then I get to the end of the day, and that adds up, and now I'm 100 calories over, yet my macros are on point. So it's important to remember that um, before before going into those things. And and with macros, it's, it's, like I said, I mean, in general, if I had to give you a percentage, man, just to answer the question, I'd probably go 40, 40, 20. I think high protein, high carb, uh, maybe even 30, 50, 30, where you're going like, or, or 30, 60, 20, like, no, that doesn't even make sense. 30, yeah, 30, 50, 20. That's what I meant to say. 
guys, I'm bad at math, you know this, um, 30% protein, 50% carbs, 20% fats. Um, again, nine times out of 10 for an athlete, I'm going to have them eating more carbs. Um, the only cases not are um, very low intensity sports and depending on the person's age and stuff like, like, for example, like my dad is a golfer. And when I say he's a golfer, like, I mean, this dude lives on a golf course. He golfs He's 55, I think, and he golfs, you know, five, six days a week. Um, he finally is letting me do his diet because he was losing weight. He's just not able to maintain his weight because he doesn't eat enough. He forgets because he's so busy at work, and then he gets home and just goes right to the course. You have some drinks while you're golfing. Just not a good way to maintain an athletic performance, maintain an athletic and healthy weight. Um, not to mention, fuck, I forgot to talk about this. He just had stem cell surgery. Craziest thing I've ever seen. Um, so, dude, to answer your question, probably 40, 40, 20, or 30, 50, 20. My dad just had, um, and that's very, very generic, I understand. Sorry, dude, but it's going to be pretty high slash moderate protein. It's going to be high carb and a low moderate fat. Um, and the calories are going to be between 13 to 18. But my dad just had stem cell surgery, and it was such an insane process because I took him to the hospital to go through it because he needed help. Um, and they took, so basically my dad's hips are bone to bone, both of them, like to the point where he was in so much pain, he couldn't even walk. And I, it, it was this craziest thing because for a long time, like he limps a little bit. He, you know, he kind of grunts when he sits and I'm like, okay, he has bad hips, but it was never debilitating. And I found out the reason it wasn't debilitating is this because one, he does drink alcohol. Um, most days he's not like an alcoholic by any means, but he is definitely drinking alcohol to mask the pain. And the next thing was edibles. He eats a lot of weed. <laughs> and it just it calms him down, right? Like, and I think most people in those situations you need, and I don't even know if he actually eats weed. I think it's just CBD, right? Like CBD oil and stuff like that um, just, to, just to basically numb the pain. Um, and then he eats a lot of I I ibuprofen. And that's horrible for you, right? It's all this ibuprofen. So I find out that the reason he's maintaining his, his pain and he's not having any issues is literally because he is masking the pain with these things. Um, so before the surgery, they made him cut everything out for a week. So I pick him up, and he's in a, using a cane. He's barely walking, and I'm just like, holy shit. And he was like, dude, it's worse than it's ever been. Not to mention I can't have ibuprofen, but on top of that – it's just been building up and building up and building up. And now it's like really at this point. So we take them into the hospital. They give them some pain meds, but they can only give them so much. They can't knock them out. So he's awake for this whole fucking thing. First, they take out blood. So they need to draw blood. And they take out what was, it was a, it was a vial, but it was the size of a, um, like the cardboard in the inside of a toilet paper roll. So without the toilet paper, just that cardboard in the middle. But that much, like a, that's a lot of fucking blood. Like it was crazy. And then they took out bone marrow out of his spine, literally pulled bone marrow out of his spine. And then they needed to take fat. And my dad is so lean, they took fat out of his ass. So they, they did liposuction to take some fat out. Now they mixed all this shit together with the stem cells and injected it into each hip, deep into his hips. And he had to stay awake for the whole fucking thing. So I come into this room, and he's, like, shaking, barely walking. He's, like, trying to stand up after the, the procedure. His eyes are, like, bloodshot. He's pale. It's just, like, this is intense. So I help him get changed and get out of the hospital. I'm walking him, practically carrying him into the car, carrying him into his house. I stayed at his house to help him for a while. Um, and he, the whole way home, is just like, God, I hope this fucking works. I just hope this works. So I leave him there. And we're just like, you know, like the doctor says, like, hey, you know, it's going to take a while. You're going to be sore. You, it's, nothing just happens overnight. He calls me on Saturday. 
last week. So we did this last Thursday, so a week from today. Uh, well, you guys are listening to this on Friday. But he calls me in the morning on Saturday, and he's like, hey, how's it going, bud? And I'm like, yo, what's good? You're, you're pretty chipper. And he's like, I haven't felt this good in a fucking decade. He's like, I'm walking around. I woke up with no pain. I slept through the night. Like, it's insane, Cody. And I was just like, holy shit. So the shit worked. Um, it's, it's soon to tell, but as far as we know, the stem cell stuff worked amazing. And he, the only other option was complete surgery, complete replacement of his hips. So this is huge, right? Um, so it went well, but he finally agreed for me to do his diet. And that's why I started talking about this because I have him on a very, very whole food approach, eating four meals a day. Actually, I think I have him eating three meals a day in one shake and high protein, high fat, high produce, not much carbs. You know, he doesn't need a ton of carbs. He's a little bit older. We're not worried about building a ton of muscle. He needs more protein for that than anything because of his age. Um, and I just want him neurologically functioning well. And when you're walking around the golf course, majority of that can be uh, fueled by fat. So we don't need him doing a ton of carbs. But, man, it was it – was, it's insane what's going on. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of people were asking how's he, how's he doing and all that stuff. So I wanted to uh, break that down. All right, back to the questions. Zach R40 from Instagram. What do you think about using intermittent fasting as a tool on rest days? I use it as a way to not overeat when not training and want to hear your take on whether it's a smart idea or you think it could be hurting my overall recovery. I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, it's exactly what I do. So on Sundays, I do a protein and intermittent caloric fast. Um, the only way it's going to harm your recovery is if, like, if you train late, late Saturday night, you have a shake, go to bed, wake up fast all day Sunday, and then explain, expect to wake up Monday morning and train first thing. There's just not enough meals in between those training sessions. So for me, I train Friday night at, like, 3 or 4 p.m. Um, I have one big meal and usually, like, a protein snack before bed. I wake up Saturday. I have all my meals Saturday. I do a lighter workout Saturday morning, so I have, you know, Breakfast, workout, shake, lunch, dinner, wake up Sunday. I do not train, and I fast anywhere between 18 to 20 hours. I usually don't like to go over 20. You get a lot of benefits of 24. It's just for me from a social and a comfort perspective. I just prefer – I hate fasting too long, so it's usually around 18 or 20 hours. I break my fast with um, low-protein, high-produce, and I stay that way all day. Higher fat, lower-carb, lower-protein, so my calories are lower, but I'm only eating twice that day. Um, I think it's going to help insulin sensitivity. I think it's going to help protein synthesis. So when you come back to eating normal food on Monday, you're actually going to have a more sensitive response, a better response to the food, the protein, the carbs, all the intake that you're taking in. It's actually going to fuel your performance on Monday a little bit better. So I think it's a very, very smart idea, especially if you're trying to either stay lean during a cut or a bulk or you're trying to get lean during a cut. I think it's very, very smart. And it's going to help your digestion as well. Um, I mean, just giving the gut a break for 24 hours or 18 or 16 or even 12 hours a day, that's, that's a very, very beneficial thing. Um, Lauren31680 from Instagram. If you are reverse dieting and keto but wanting to move back to carbs and you want to avoid putting on the weight in the process, am I correct that you'd reverse diet on keto then when you hit your target intake, slowly transition to carbs? Help. I think that, yeah, you could do that. I think that, but to be honest with you, I actually wouldn't. I would probably start, that's tough because my thought is if you're, if you need to reverse diet and you're keto, quote unquote, 
you're probably not fully in ketosis because my, my thought is that if you're not eating enough calories that you need to reverse diet, you're probably also not eating enough fat to actually be in full-blown ketosis. Um, unless you are very lightweight and you are, aren't in a super crazy deficit and you just want to reverse diet to get more calories in to maybe build muscle or improve performance. So it depends. But my actual way of doing it would be start transitioning to carbs right from the jump on your reverse diet because your, your fats are obviously at the low it's going to be if you're on a reverse diet. The last thing you want to do is reverse diet adding 30 more grams of fat and now you're eating a ton of fat your body is well fat adapted and now you're going to try to transition its fuel source to carbs. What I would probably do is, and, and again, you can do it that way. It would just be a slow process. Bring fats up, bring your calories up, feel better. Once you start noticing your biofeedback is improved and you're ready to stop reverse dieting, start slowly bringing fats down while just transitioning carbs up, keeping your calories exactly the same. But what I would do is depending on where your fats are at, I would just start shifting from high fat to high carb. And as your calories like figure out where your fat bare minimum is or a little bit above that and have that as your goal. So if you're eating, you know, 70 grams of fat right now um, and your bare minimum is 50 for a normal diet because you're light or maybe you're eating 90 grams of fat and your bare minimum is 70. Either way, maybe you bring fats down and bring carbs up. So you're not actually bringing calories up yet. So you're not even reverse dieting. You're actually just transitioning your macronutrient profile, your macronutrient ratio dropping five grams of fat, adding 10 grams of carbs because it's about double, um, and doing that until they meet, right? Until your, your fats get to that 70 or that 50 or whatever your bare minimum is. And then at that point, you just keep bringing calories up via carbs. I think that would probably be the best idea because keeping your calories a little bit lower, you're going to stay leaner, and that's going to help you partition those carbohydrates properly because we know when you're lean, your insulin sensitivity is at its most optimal. So if you add carbs into your diet while you're very lean, you're probably going to utilize those carbs better because your insulin sensitivity is a lot better, especially if you've been on a high-fat diet because, as we know, that can help reset insulin levels. So my advice would probably be to transition to partition and kind of change your ratios of macros now and then reverse diet via carbohydrates by bringing those up. Yisha Mariel from Instagram says, way to lose hormonal belly fat that is caused by higher levels of cortisol. Um, this one's simple. Honestly, like you, what you're going to want to do is just reduce stress. Like if your cortisol levels are too high, it's most likely because you're too stressed. And by too stressed, I mean you're not sleeping enough. You have relationship stress. You have work stress. You have um, – immune issues, you have, you're not eating enough calories, um, your, your ratios of macros are off, you could be not eating enough carbs, you could be not timing your carbs properly, your insulin sensitivity could be poor, um, you could be training way too hard too often, you could be doing cardio too often, too long duration. So there's so many reasons why your cortisol is up. So it's hard to say, but the number one thing we know about all of that I just mentioned is that they're all stress-related things. So no matter what, your stress is too high. So what we want to do is look at each of those avenues and lower the stress somehow. So if you're training too much, lower training intensity. If you're doing too much cardio, lower the cardio. Shift to strength training instead of cardio. If you're not sleeping enough, sleep more. If you're stressing too much, practice meditation, practice journaling, practice gratitude journaling, creating space, do anything to reduce your environmental stress. Um, if it's coming from poor food selection, change your food selection. If you're under eating, start eating enough food. So it really comes down to probably reverse dieting, probably lowering stress in some way, shape, or form, letting your body recover and then go back into your cut to remove that belly fat in a smart way. Typically, when people have low belly fat, it's 
it's usually one of those things where we go, hey, like we're not going to burn that right now. We have to manage your stress. We have to recover your body, your nervous system, your hormones, and then we can work on burning that lower belly fat. Um, now, the only case that that's different is when you are eating enough calories, you're not under eating whatsoever, um, and you still have that lower belly fat. You've Maybe you're advanced, you're doing everything right, and you're just stuck. You probably just haven't dug long enough, and you probably haven't got specific enough. So sometimes it takes getting a coach and going through like your own little bodybuilding style prep, whether you're getting on stage or not, and just really going through a very meticulous process with a coach to dial you in. So it really, really depends. All right, this will be the last question. This is from Wanderlush. Wanderlust underscore donuts. Do they just love donuts or are they a donut company? They're travelers that eat donuts. Anyway, I have a dilemma. I weigh 132 pounds and I'm about 5'3". Been dieting, quote unquote, on 1,400 calories and suffer from PCOS, polycystic uh, ovary syndrome, if anybody doesn't know. I was 130 pounds before with 34% body fat and managed to drop it to 26% over almost eight months. Need a break, but 1,800 calories brought my body fat back up to 28%. Yo, that's still really good. That's 6% lower than you were at the very beginning. Good job. Don't look at that as a negative. That's a positive. How do I go back on maintenance calories without gaining fat? So again, this one is going to be kind of related to that last question, right? Like I think that, I mean, for one, 1,800 calories for you um, at 130 pounds, you know, that's, it's really not that bad. Like that's, that's the higher end of fat loss, like the way higher end. That's like the, like, that's the calorie intake of somebody that's pretty active trying to lose fat. So it depends on your training. I might change your training to do something better. So if you do a lot of high rep training, circuit training, I would be like, Hey, let's lift heavy. Let's do some strength training. Let's do some high intensity cardio. Let's do some low intensity cardio. Let's do something different. Change things up. Try to sleep more. Um, I would try to use some like strategic strategies, like maybe some fasted cardio without changing your macros. Change your composition of macros. So if you're doing really flexible style dieting, try to eat really, really whole food and see if that helps. Um, try carb bunching, so separating your carbs so they're all coming at one window of the day, like a four to six hour window, and the rest of your day is carbless pretty much and just fat and proteins to keep insulin levels healthy. Um, and then you could also get a blood glucometer. Test your blood glucose levels. See what range you're in. If you're over 90, you're probably having some insulin sensitivity levels. If you're over 100, you definitely have some insulin sensitivity issues. And you might want to keep your calories at 1,800, but go high fat, very low carb. Implement some intermittent fasting. Do something very specific to increase your insulin sensitivity and then move back to your normal carbohydrate diet. Your body's going to tolerate those carbs better. You're probably going to build more muscle. You're probably going to burn more fat. So it really takes getting specific. Again, this is somebody I would say you should probably hire a coach unless you are one um, and just really dive into the nitty gritty stuff and dial those things in. Don't go back down to 1,400 calories just to lose that weight. Like see what you can do with 1,800 calories before. Like I'm the type of coach that will do everything under the sun that I have on my tool belt to make sure that we can lose fat without cutting calories before I resort to cutting calories because nine times out of 10, there is some we can squeeze out a couple pounds of fat at least by doing these random things that I'm mentioning and, and stuff that I mentioned in that one podcast I did called the, the Plateau Breaking Podcast or Fat Loss Strategies or whatever. But in general, it, it really just comes down to getting a little bit more specific with what you're doing. All right, guys, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show today. A couple quick announcements before I let you go. First and foremost, I just want to encourage you to check out the products I have in the description. First one, 
is the nutrition hierarchy. This is a very cheap guide to literally mastering your diet. That's why it's called the all-inclusive guide to mastering your diet. It's going to teach you exactly what and how to manage your calories, your macros, your meal timing, your supplements, your micronutrients, literally everything you need to know about dieting and nutrition and how to change your body composition through nutrition is included in this book, not just to get your results, but to actually teach you how to get those results along the way. The next thing is going to be functional muscle, which is my first and right now my biggest product out there. This is the program that is based on years and years and years of functional training with tons of clients. So whether your goal is strength, fat loss, or muscle gain, you should be strength training towards these goals while prioritizing functional movement patterns to make sure that you are avoiding any injuries along the way. That's exactly what this program does, and it's great because it guides you through the process, it changes throughout the process, and it gives you demonstrations and explanations about everything you're doing so you never get confused and you always have a solution. You also get access into the Boom Boom Performance Podcast Forum. That is the only way into the forum, and that's where you can ask me literally anything about anything, and I will help guide you through the process. Last thing I want to mention, guys, is if you could leave me a five-star rating and review, that would be fantastic because it literally is one of the biggest and best ways for me to grow in the iTunes charts. Oh, yeah, and real quick, if you're not subscribed, hit the damn subscribe button because I constantly bust out content for you guys, and I spent a lot of time and effort making sure that you guys can get better results for free by simply listening to this podcast. All right, guys, I'll catch you next time.